started last week looking at this minor prophet in my Bible. I just open it right in the middle and I come out around the um, major prophets and then I turn a little bit to the right and I get into the minor prophets. That's where we are. We're going to spend four weeks looking at this book. It's a book that was written by a prophet uh, in the land of Judah named Habakkuk. Um, it is considered a minor prophet, not because uh, he wasn't like, um, you know, in the majors, but because it's a short book. And so the, the, maj- the minor prophets are called minor prophets because they're short. This only has three chapters. Uh, he lived in Judah in the southern part of the kingdom, if you know anything about Israel's history. And uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, has already been carried away into captivity. And Judah is left, and they're kind of watching the world around them go downhill. Um, this is a nation that is filled with sin, um, that is filled with treachery, and it, it grieves the heart of this, of this prophet named Habakkuk. Um, his nation is filled with sin and it breaks his heart. And of course we know and we talk about this, but that's the, that's the thing about sin. Sin causes all the problems in the world, all of them. It's sin that causes pride and every despicable thing that comes from pride in our world. It's what leads to prejudice. It's what leads to suffering. It's what leads to injustice. It's what, it, it leads to violence. It's, it's sin that brings discouragement. Uh, it's sin that brings death. And, and the Bible says that, that sin has infected every part of our world. It's somehow infected the natural world that we live in so that our, our world is infected with sin, that nature is infected with sin, that our bodies are infected with sin. Amen? Yeah, you feel that. You may feel that from time to time. Our relationships are infected with sin. Our minds, our culture, you think, is infected with sin. Our government is infected with sin. Aren't you glad you came here this morning? (laughs) And as God's image bearers on this earth, we're the only creatures that ponder this, right? We're the only ones that sit around and wonder, like, why is there suffering? Why is there evil? Why is there death? My cat doesn't ponder those things. She just wonders why there's no crunchies in her bowl today. That's all. Um, she doesn't philosophize. She doesn't turn to religion. And yet in our world, I think the topic of sin and the topics of suffering, they, they tend to dominate human philosophies and, and religions. And there's been a lot of different speculations and approaches over the years to solving the problem of, of sin and the problem of suffering in our world. Um, back in the time of the Apostle Paul, uh, Greek mythology was huge. And, and the Greeks believed that there were many gods, um, but that those gods were not necessarily good. That um, they were kind of capricious. They uh, had to be pleased and appeased. And um, therefore, you never quite knew what you were going to get from one of the gods. Um, and then there are people who are deists. Deists basically believe that there is a God, that he created the earth. Uh, a lot of times with deism, we'll think they kind of believe God created the world, wound it up, and pushed it away. And now he's, he's gone on to other projects. But every now and then, he kind of looks to see if we've completely destroyed ourselves yet. Um, then there's dualists, right? Dualists who believe that God is, is uh, light and darkness, that he's good, that he's bad, that he's yin and that he's yang, um, and that that's reflected in life. God's a little bipolar, and it plays out in the world. 
world. You know, sometimes he's good and happy. Sometimes he's not so happy. And, and that's kind of why sometimes there are good things and sometimes there are bad things. Um, there are humanists who say there may be a God, there may not be a God, but, but we're not the problem. We, people are good. We're basically good, but we live in a messed up world. And so we are not the problem. We are the solution. And we hear this a lot in our world today. We're, we're the solution. And so we'll, we'll kind of get together and we'll start movements and we'll start causes and, and slowly but surely we're going we're gonna to fix this place. And then there are atheists who basically will say, uh, there's no God. And I know there's no God. Just watch the news. Are you kidding me? How could there possibly be a God overseeing this mess, the, 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 the violence, uh, the injustice that we see in our world today? And then there's Christianity. Right? Christianity basically says this, that God is good. And that God is ultimately in control. We call that the sovereignty of God. We believe that God rules. We believe that God reigns. We believe that he is good. We do not believe that God causes everything. We believe that God has given us a measure of freedom in our lives. But we believe this, that even when we sin and even when we mess up and even when we go down sinful paths, we believe that God is is bigger than our choices and bigger than our freedom and that God will ultimately accomplish every good thing that he has ordained he will do. But the problem that we often wrestle with in the meantime is where is God when things aren't going so well? Where is God when, when people are suffering? Where is God when bad things happen to good things and good things happen to bad things and life doesn't make sense? And this is Habakkuk's struggle in chapter one. And, and in your notes this morning, uh, for the four weeks we're in Habakkuk, you'll notice we're kind of approaching this a little bit differently. I'm not giving you a three-point or a four-point outline. We're just going to kind of walk through this book uh, verse by verse and uh, get as far as we can get each weekend. Um, but here's Habakkuk, and he, he has some questions for God. And that's how the book's going to start. He says, God, I, I've looked around and I have some questions. Now, it's not a sin to ask God questions. It's not a sin to say, God, I don't understand, or, or why is she suffering, or why is he sick, or why did you let that happen? But it's not okay to accuse God. That's a different thing altogether. To come to God and say, you've wronged me, or you have a bad plan, or you've erred, or, or you've failed. And it's important, too, to notice that Habakkuk is a good example to us. He doesn't, he doesn't run to philosophy. He doesn't run to religion with his questions. He runs to God. And when we have questions, we have a God who wants us to come to him. And he's given us his word that we can read and hear from him. He's given us the Holy Spirit who can speak to us and, and we can pray. And, and, and he listens to us and he hears us. And I believe he answers us. So let's get into chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, it starts this way. The oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, received. Now this word oracle means a, a heavy burden. And so this message that he's given you... Know, Sometimes when we read the Bible, it's like, you know, super exciting and, you know, we're, oh, we're really glad about that promise or this or that or whatever. And sometimes when we read the Bible, it's a little heavy because sometimes God's message to us is a little heavy. So I just, you know, kind of heads up. In a couple of weeks, we'll have some fun messages. This is not going to be one of them. All right. This is a, this is a heavy burden that God has given to Habakkuk to deliver to the people. He says, how long, O Lord, am I going to have to... Cur- Call out for your help, but you don't listen to me. So Habakkuk begins by saying, God, you know, um, I've been coming to you. I've been asking you for help. I've been praying to you. I've been asking you questions. And it's like, you don't even, you don't even hear me. 
I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Like maybe you, you prayed for uh, something that you believed was God's will. You ever done that? Like you don't hear from God. Um, and then you pray again and you still don't hear from him. Or maybe you've done this. You've prayed and asked God for something and then he gave you the opposite. Right? I had somebody share that with me a few weeks ago. They said, I, I keep asking God for things and he keeps giving me the opposite of what I asked for. I'm kind of thinking I'm trying reverse psychology on God now because I don't, I'm not really sure. Like I've called out to him and I wonder, but I'm wondering, does God even hear me? Does God even care about the situation I'm in? He goes on, he says, all right, I, I cry out to you, God. I, what I cry out is violence. I'm looking at my world and I'm seeing violence, but you're not saving anyone from the violence that's going on. Habakkuk says, you know, I get up in the morning, I get my coffee, I turn on CNN. I'm watching the, the wicked who are abusing the weak. I'm watching the politically powerful who are oppressing the poor. I'm watching people take advantage of the widow and take advantage of the orphan. And there's, there's violence in my world. There's rape in my world. There's theft in my world. There's abuse in my world. God, I've been begging you to do something about it. I'm just telling you, I get up in the morning, I hear the news and I hate it. And I've just asked you, aren't you a good God? Can't you do something about this? And yet I'm not hearing anything from you. He goes on, why do you make me look at injustice? I'm, in other words, he's just saying, man, I'm looking at the world and I'm sick of it. And God, I'm just wondering why. Why do I have to look at this? Why do I have to live in a world like this? I, I don't know if you ever feel like that, right? Like, I don't know, I turn on the news, I look at my neighborhood. You know, I'm like, how, God, why do I have to be subjected to this? How, how long do I have to look at this? Maybe for some of you, you're like, you know, I'm just checking out of here. I'm just going to start reading, you know, rapture novels and, you know, and sit on the couch and I'm not watching the news anymore. And I'm just going to wait for Jesus to come back. And every day you just pray when you watch the news, Jesus, come back. I can't wait for you to get me out of this, out of this pit, you know? And, and for some people, I notice what they do is, well, some people just find this whole, this whole place we live to be discouraging. At, and I find other people, other Christians kind of have their approaches. Well, I'm just going to wake up every day singing, what a wonderful world. And I'm just going to be glass half full everywhere I go, you know. And, and, uh, and I, I see that approach as well. And, and Habakkuk's just kind of looking. He's like, I'm not, I'm not sure what to do. Should I, should I be rejoicing every day and God's sovereignty? Should I just be you know, begging and pleading? God to do something about all this? Should I just go, should I move to Idaho and live underground until Jesus comes back, you know? And, but, but here's what he's doing. He's, he's, the context is this. He's looking at his country. This is, this is his nation. This is his home that he's looking at. And he's like, God, my country is turning into a cesspool. It used to be good. It used to be godly. It used to be something that I could be proud of. I'm not proud of my country anymore. I'm sick of my country. And God, I don't know why you're not doing something about this. I I think we can kind of relate to that. In fact, you know, it made me think now, have you ever noticed, like if you watch the news and so I've, I've been trying to watch the news, trying is the key, um, watch the news. And have you ever noticed like, so for a half an hour, it's just all the carnage, right? And the death and politics. And then the last thing they do at the very end of the news every night, what do they do? They give you like a 90 second feel good story about a kitten stuck in a well or something, right? And you know why they're doing it? Because I think they're afraid that everyone who watches the news, they're all going to go jump off a bridge and then no one's going to watch the news tomorrow and the ratings will go down. And that's kind of what a back act saying. He's like, man, this is terrible. God, I, I don't know how to process it. I don't know what to do with it. And then he says to God, but what about you, God? Why do you tolerate wrong? That's kind of an interesting comic. Why do you, why do you put up with it? I mean, I'm an imperfect person, but what about you? You're a, you're a holy God. 
How do you stomach this? Destruction and violence are before me. That is everywhere I walk, everywhere I go. This is what I see. There's strife. There's conflict abounds. I had somebody last night tell me when they opened up the bulletin last night and they looked at the notes and they saw this, that she said her comment was, she said, why is Pastor Bob publishing my prayer? She's a kindergarten teacher and she said, this sounds like my class. Why do you tolerate wrong destruction and violence are before me? There's strife, there's conflict, the bounds, you know? And, and, and the, this person is just, Habakkuk is just saying, God, I'm, I'm an imperfect person, but what about you? You're a holy God. How in the world do you stomach this? And therefore, here's what it's come down to in my country. He says, the law is paralyzed. What use is the law anymore? Why do we have stop signs? Why do we have red lights? Why do we have speed limits? What's the, what's the use? Why do we have rules? He says, nobody obeys them. And people just do what they want. The wicked hem in the righteous. And, and so the justice is perverted. He says, the government... It's supposed to serve people. The, the justice system is supposed to protect people, but they're not doing that anymore. They're doing other things. It's, it's perverted. It's messed up. We have attorneys, he says, that they're more, about, they're more about their profit than justice. They don't care if someone's innocent. They don't care if someone's guilty. None of that matters to them. They're just looking to make a hefty fee, right? We have judges that are taking bribes. And when they're, when they're um, officiating over cases, the, their ruling is based more on how it will advance their career, not how it will impact the lives of the people involved. Elected officials are not about serving people anymore, not about walking in humility. They're about power and prestige and, and, and about selfish gain. It's... it's Nice to know that we can't really relate to Habakkuk, right? Because we wouldn't know anything about that. I mean, I love our legal system. I love this country that we live in. But I mean, let's be honest. Is our legal system solely about truth and justice today? Is it about service today? Would you say that politicians are always truthful? Do you trust everything that your politician says? Do you believe that politicians are all about serving the, the best interests of the people before themselves. We had an election last week in, in our house. We have four people voting now. So we got to talk a little bit about some of the issues and, you know, like, you know, how are we feeling about this stuff? And you know what I found in our, and, and, and as I talk to people about elections, what I find is this, um, our, it seems like a lot of people have abandoned the notion that their vote or their candidate is really going to bring some kind of positive change to our country today. I think that for many of us, what I hear is this. I don't really vote for candidates anymore as much as I vote against them, right? I like, I decide who's the worst. I'm not putting my hopes in anyone anymore, but I'm just like, who's going to do more damage? All right, I'll vote against that person, right? This is the world that we live in. This is, this is what it's coming down to for us. I mean, so I know this sounds dumb when I say this, but I'm just looking around at the world this week and I'm thinking, why don't we take candy from strangers? Right? I mean, candy's good, except on Halloween, right? Because we do on Halloween. But the rest of it, why don't we take candy from strangers? Well, we don't take candy from strangers and we tell our kids never take candy from strangers because of the world we live in. Because we don't trust strangers. Because of sin and evil and all of that stuff, right? Have you ever thought like there's something fundamentally wrong with that? How do we get to the place that we're okay with that? It's just the way, it's the way we live today. It's what we've come to expect in our nation. We don't take candy from strangers. Have you ever thought like in our church, and you may not know this, but at Gateway, if you want to work in the nursery, 
Uh, if you want to work with kids um, in our church uh, that are under the age of 18, um, we have to run a national background check on you, right? So we get to fill it out and send it in and it costs us money and then we get, the, you know, we get all the dirt on you and all that stuff. Have you ever thought like, how sad is it that that's what it's come to in our nation? How sad is that? See, what's, what's happened for us is I think we've just gotten to the point where this kind of sin does not bother us anymore. It just, well, that's just the way things are. But Habakkuk looks and he's like, no, I, I'm not going to accept this. This is not reasonable, God. I don't want to live my whole life like this. I don't want my nation to be like this. I, so I had this thing this week. I kind of decided like, I, maybe like you, I watch the news. But I kind of wondered, like, um, I don't feel like Habakkuk a lot of time when I watch the news, you know. And so I thought, I'm going to watch the news um, this week, and I'm going to really be engaged in the news. So some of you are on Facebook, <laughs> and you're kind of doing this thing November, right? In November, a lot of people, every day they're posting something they're thankful for, right? Which I think is great. Applause to you. I'm doing the opposite, right? I'm just on my journal, right? That right now, what I'm doing is every day I'm watching news and I'm writing in my journal about something that I generally think sucks about our world. That's it. So there's a lot of glass half full people and I'm decidedly glass half empty for, uh, and so I thought I'd do it for a week and I'm not doing it any longer. But so here's my little journey this week. I'll make it quick, but so these are my glass half empty um, things. So what I decided was I'll watch the evening news as long as I can. And then when I can't take it anymore, I'll turn it off and I'll write what it is that put me over the edge. And when I decided I couldn't watch anymore. So last Sunday I started, and this has of course been dominated uh, the news in the Northwest, right? Last Sunday, um, an 88 year old man in Oregon city, uh, apparently, um, you know, torched his own house, sat out in front with a loaded gun. And when a police officer, um, in this case, uh, Reserve Officer Robert Libke, um, responded to help, um, this man shot him and fatally wounded him. Um, he survived by his wife, who was expecting um, their first child. And, I, and, and as I was watching, so that was the first news report. And as I was watching it, uh, what I realized was, I've watched a lot of reports like this. We all have, haven't we? But I didn't really think about it. I, hadn't, I really didn't think about the tragedy of his life being ended that way. And about somebody in our culture who would, who would do something like that, right? Who would light their house on fire and wait out in front with a loaded gun. What, what has happened to our world? What has happened to our culture? And what's happened to us that we can, we can watch that and then watch the next news story and the next news story and the next news story. But we didn't turn off the TV and get down on our knees and weep for that man and weep for his family. Um, Monday was a kind of a different, so I, this probably sounds funny, but on Monday, so I don't know if you saw the story. So there's this mom in Portland and she has six kids. You can count them there. She has six kids. And a year ago she traded it or she sold her uh, gas guzzling suburban. She lives in Portland. She traded it in and she bought a bike that, so she can get all six kids and herself on that bike. All right. And that's how she gets around solely now in Portland. And so on Monday, I think it must've been Sunday, but they had it in the news on Monday. She'd gone to the grocery store. She bought groceries. She came home. She had her bike parked out front. And while she, she unloaded her groceries, got all six kids in the house. And, and then later she came out and somebody had stole her bike. Right? Now, first of all, I'm just thinking like, who steals that bike, right? It's not like you're going to ride around your neighborhood and no one's going to know, right? Everybody's going to know. Like, but, but again, who steals a bike from a mom with six kids? 
And that's the culture that we live in. That's the world that we are living in now. How do we feel about that? Tuesday, I'm sure you've heard about this. So Tuesday, um, you might have heard the story. uh, Corbett Middle School, right? They had a a volunteer football coach, had was the operative word. um, And he planned the team's award dinner at Hooters. All right. So this is middle school, a middle school football team. And the coach planned the team award dinner at Hooters in Jansen Beach. Um, so when the school stepped in and said, uh, no, you're not, and we're going to fire you. And I don't know how you fire a volunteer, but they fired him. And then he went on record in the paper saying, I'm not allowing myself to be bullied by a vocal minority. You stand up for what you believe in. That was his comment. When he was asked why he picked Hooters, this is what he said. He said he asked the boys where they wanted to have their awards dinner. And these middle school boys picked Hooters, right? So, and then after they fired him, he said, I'm doing it anyways. And you may have read, Hooters said, well, we'll pick up the tab and we're going to throw in a thousand bucks uh, for prizes. Who knows what that is? And that kind of stuff. That was... uh, that was Tuesday. It's a wonderful world. And then Wednesday, this is a new story. That, all right, so, right, we got the election results on Wednesday. And voters in Colorado, uh, they approved um, recreational marijuana a little while back, just like our great state has done. But they decided we might as well make the most of it. So they uh, voted in a 25% tax on recreational marijuana to fund school construction, right? And they're estimating, first of all, they're estimating it's going to bring in about $70 million a year. So there's some serious cannabis being smoked in Colorado, right? But of course, there's now again, there's a sense in which we go, well, I mean, if they're going to smoke it, we might as well get some money. But folks, they're building a house on sand. And, And again, this is what it's coming to in our country. That we make a bad decision and then we make another bad decision based on that bad decision. And we keep making those decisions until we look back and the whole house of cards begins to fall apart. Uh, Thursday, for some of you, was uh, probably the darkest day of the week. Um, But that's like... (laughs) Somebody's clapping, but I can't see their hands. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's probably best... Probably best you keep your hands down. So, and then of course Friday, Friday we received word of uh, getting some of the um, news coming back from the typhoon that hit the Philippines, possibly the uh, the biggest storm um, that's ever been recorded. I was reading yesterday that the death toll is at twelve hundred, but this morning they're saying it will probably top ten thousand. Um, this is, uh, I'm, I'm used this picture because it's the only picture that I could find on CNN that didn't have an easily discernible, uh, corpse laying somewhere, uh, just everywhere that you go and every picture that you see just the, the, the death and the destruction 800,000 people have been moved to emergency shelters and many of them have no home to go back to now. When I was looking at some of the pictures of just, you know, what streets look like and, and you would see the legs of someone from out from under a building or a board or whatever. And just to think as I was looking at that, that that's somebody's son or daughter or mom or dad. 
See, the Bible says it not only has sin infected us, but it's infected the natural world that we live in. That everything that, as we know it, is messed up because of sin. So here's Habakkuk. And he's a guy who's living in a world with his eyes wide open, right? When he walks through his world, he hasn't... He, he hasn't decided, I'm just going to put blinders on and I'm just going to think to myself, what a wonderful world. And I'm going to just ignore the suffering and ignore the hurt and ignore the pain and, and gloss over it. He's like, I'm not going to do that. He said, I'm going to engage and I'm going to look and I'm going to think and I'm disgusted by what I see. And when I think about the world that we live in today, it makes me think about how when, for, for many of us, even in the church, when we are continually confronted by the sin of our world, how for some of us after a while, we get so tired of calling evil, evil. We get so tired of calling out sin. We get so tired of the, the friction and the pushback and the debate from doing that, that after a while, we just, we shut up. And then after we shut up, after a while, we, we start to blend in. And then after we start to blend in, after a while, we just start to rationalize it. And then pretty soon, we're watching it on TV. We're listening to it on the radio by choice. We haven't just, when, when we stop fighting and being broken by the world that we live in, my fear is that after a while, we just get engulfed by it. We get taken in and we don't see how terrible and awful it is. And I, and I say that because statistically, this is what's happening to the church. When you look at statistics today among people who claim to be Christians about those who live together in a sexual relationship in the same home before marriage. And did you know, in the, in, for those who claim to be Christians today, the, the stats are exactly the same as people who don't claim to be Christians. When we talk about having sex before marriage, when we have talking about having extramarital sexual relationships, it's just exactly the same now. We're living statistically exactly like the world around us. How did that happen? And then there's divorce, which is a little different because actually amongst evangelicals, the divorce rate is higher than among non-Christians now. So we're finally excelling at something. Abortions, cheating on tests in school, lying on our taxes, alcohol abuse, substance abuse. It's all the same. We look just like the world now, exactly like the world. And, and, and God's response to Habakkuk is something that we need to, we need to take notice of. Here's what he says. God says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. Or in the Hebrew, literally, it says, and be amazed, amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. God says, Habakkuk, I, I have seen what your world looks like. I have taken notes. I am paying attention. And I, in fact, am going to do something and I'm going to do it in your day. And you would not believe if somebody had told you what I'm going to do, you would not believe them. You would say that will never happen in my country in my lifetime. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places that do not belong to them. Now, the Babylonians, they are the, the worst of the worst on the earth at this time uh, in, in the world scene in history. They are, they are a absolutely godless people. They are the preeminent military force of the day. Um, they are marching across um, lands 
uncontested. If they want, if they come to your town and they want your house, they just kill you and they take your house. And if your family complains, they'll just kill your family too. And if you want to take them to court, they'll just burn down the courthouse and kill the judge. And if they want your town, they'll take it. If they want your wife, they'll take it. If they want your house, they want your kids, they'll take it. They do whatever they want because the law means nothing to them. Because they are stronger than the laws of the nations that they come up against. And so here's the, here's the context. The, the nation of Judah, God's chosen people, all right? Even though they had been chosen by God and blessed by God and gifted by God and empowered by God and they had the word of God and yet they had ignored God and they had stepped all over God's grace and they were doing whatever they wanted and they were breaking God's law. And so God basically says to Habakkuk, listen, at some point, I'm just going to say, if that's what you want, then I'm going to give you what you want. If you don't want to live under my lordship, then you can live under someone else's lordship. So I'm going to introduce you to the Babylonians, right? Because this is the natural result of what you get when you reject me. I'm going to let you meet them because that's what you get when you don't get me. He says, they're a feared and a dreaded people, right? When you, when you hear stories about the Babylonians, it makes you shake. They are a law unto themselves. In other words, there is no law that can stop them from doing what they want to do. And they promote their own honor. Their, their horses are swifter than leopards. They're fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like vultures swooping to, to devour. Um, they all come bent on violence, right? That's their thing. It's violence. And their hordes advance like a desert wind and they gather prisoners like sand. His point is this. If these guys fix their sight on you, if they decide they're coming after you and God isn't there to protect you, then you, you can't run fast enough. You can't hide well enough. You can't fight strong enough. You're just dead. There's no, they don't negotiate. They don't, uh, there's no terms of surrender. There's no compromise with them. And see, the problem is that, that the Jews had this false sense of security. They, they, they were living these godless lives, sinning, ignoring, dishonoring God. But they believed that nothing bad was going to happen to them, right? In the midst of their sin, they believed that God was still going to protect them. Because they were God's chosen people. The Babylonians were just, they were just heathens. They were terrible people, but, but, but Judah, they were God's chosen people. And they were better, at least, than the Babylonians. And, and, and besides that, there was probably a feeling back then that the Babylonian army could never reach them. I mean, if you study your world history, you'll know that the, the Babylonians were kind of a flash in the pan. They, 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 they rose from almost nothing to, to dominance in a short amount of time. But 25 years later, they begin to dissipate and they become nothing on, in, in the world scene. But at this point in history, the, the, the Jews have heard about the Babylonians and they've heard about some of their conquests, but they're probably thinking they're too far away and they're too small to reach us. So we're okay. We're good. He goes on, he says, they deride kings. They scoff at rulers. He says, they're, they're privates in their army, wander into towns. They go right into the, right into the uh, courthouses where kings are and they just walk up and they laugh at them. Because they know that even as a private in the Babylonian army, they have more power than the king of the nations that they come up against. They laugh at fortified cities. They come up to a city right now. In those days, um, you know, the, the latest defense 
technology uh, were walls, right? That was, that was like, that was it. So they would build a big, tall wall, a thick wall around their city, and that would be their protection. But when the Babylonians came and they saw a great big wall, they would just kind of see it and they'd laugh. They'd just be, ha, this is awesome. They'd surround the, the, the city. And now those walls of protection became prison walls. And then they would begin to move earth. And a lot of times cities, they would put all their, their trash and their rubbish on the outside of town and they'd move it all and they'd put it up against the wall. And then eventually they'd just walk right up that wall and they'd take that city. He says, and then they sweep past like the wind, right? Once they've destroyed you, once they've done what they want to do with you, they're just gone. They're, they're, they go on, they're guilty men and their own strength is their God. So Habakkuk has asked God, he says, why do you just let the people of Judah, why are you letting your people live these sinful, sinful, sinful lives? Remember, he's not, he's not even concerned with the Babylonians. He's looking at his nation why are you allowing us to live in sin like this? And God says, well, actually, I'm going to do something. What I'm going to do is I'm going to bring justice. Now, Habakkuk's response is going to be, oh, well, that wasn't exactly what I had in mind, right? He's going to be like, well, God, I didn't, I, I didn't want um, the Babylonians. I was just hoping maybe a new coat of paint or, you know, new countertops or something. Do you, I mean, do you actually have to tear down the entire house? I was kind of thinking maybe something a little more subtle than that. See, the Babylonians have been kind of conquering uh, for a while now, and they've wanted to go after Judah, but God has held them back. He's given his people time to repent. He's given his, his people time to get right. He sent Jeremiah the prophet to warn them. He was begging them to stop sinning. He was begging them to come back to God. But instead they just mocked God. They just mocked Jeremiah. They mocked his kindness and his patience and his love. And that is a very, very dangerous, dangerous attitude for any child of God to have. The attitude that says, well, you know, when it comes to my sin, I'm under grace. Right? I'm saved by grace, not by works. And I have a God who's patient. And God's grace is greater than all of my sin. In my attitude. And he's a patient God. And besides that, everyone's doing it. In the things I'm watching, the things I'm listening to, the things I'm doing. I know, we're not talking about it, but I know lots of guys, lots of people are doing it. And I haven't seen them drop dead yet. And I've been doing it for a while and nothing bad seems to have happened to me. And besides that, there's way, way worse people than me doing way, way worse stuff than me. And God's got bigger fish to fry, so I'm, I'm probably okay. That's exactly what the Jews of Habakkuk's day did. They were like, yeah, we're sinners and yeah, we're doing stuff, but we're not as bad as the Babylonians. They're way worse than us. And what's God going to do? Right? What's his option? Is he going to use the Babylonians to come in and judge us? He'd never do that. They're way worse than us, right? We're good. We got nothing to worry about. As one commentator said, right, God just reaches this point where he says, I've been patient and kind and gracious, but now that's it. You've crossed a line. I'm sick of it and I'm going to deal with it. And the question even today that we have to wonder is, when will God get sick of what we're doing? When will God get sick of our sin? When will God say, hey, I, you're my child. I love you. I love you. But I've been patient with you. And I've warned you. And I gave you the word. But you don't care. You're just going to keep sinning. You're just going to keep doing that stuff. And so, you know what? I'm, I'm going to introduce you to the Babylonians, Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and let your sin run its course, right? You've been, you've been sleeping around. You know you shouldn't do that. 
You know, you shouldn't have sex outside of, outside of marriage. I've told you that. I've preached. I begged you to please stop it. I've sent people around. I've given you the Holy Spirit and the conscience. You won't listen to me. I've, I've, I've been patient with you. I've protected you for myself. But you know what? It's not what you want. You don't want my protection. So I'm just going to let you. Here, you can get the natural results of your sin. I'll let you just go down that road. You've been lying. You've been gossiping. You've been slandering. I've been patient. Here, meet the Babylonians. Here's what you get when you live a life like that. You've been cheating. You've been abusing. You, you, you've been, you know, you've been getting into porn on the internet. You think, well, it's just God, it's just me and, and the internet. And I'm all alone. No one's going to know. And God says, well, I'll tell you what. I'll let you just go down the road and find out what happens. Right? When you go down that road. Your mind is filled with lust. You're greedy. You're selfish. So God sent Jeremiah to Judah. He said, he said, you know what? God knows about your sin. You need to recognize your sin. You need to repent of your sin. You need to turn to God and you need to trust God. You need to trust him. And God is still calling out to his children today. God cares about the purity of his children and the holiness of his people. It's important to God and it should be important to us. And God has not left us without a witness. He's given us his word. He's given us teachers and preachers and the Holy Spirit and friends who remind us of this stuff to repent and to turn to him. In 2 Peter 3.9, this passage does a great job of kind of wrapping everything together that we're talking about today. It says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise to some understand slowness. Here's what, here's what Peter, a disciple of the Lord, is talking about. He says there were a lot of people in his day that were wondering, when is Jesus coming back? We've been waiting. <laughs> so, I mean, they're like, he, Jesus came and, right, this is Peter writing this. He came and he died and he, he rose again and he said he's coming back and he went to heaven. And um, it's been 45 years. <laughs> when's he coming back? Is he going to take 50 years? Right, he's kind of slow, right? Uh, when's he coming back? And so here's what Peter says. Now, I know it seems to you like God is slow. And keeping his promise. And again, I think this really relates even to Habakkuk. Because Habakkuk's going, you know what, God? When are you going to deal with this? You seem awfully slow. Your people are sinning. Remember, again, this is not about the Babylonians. Either. This is about the people of God. Your people are sinning. Your people are full of injustice. Your people are full of greed and full of lust and full of selfishness and full of pride. And you, God, you seem slow. Because if it was up to me, we'd already dealt with this, right? We'd be done with this. The Lord is not slow. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. No, God is not slow. God is patient. God is patient with you. He makes it very, he makes it very personal here. God isn't slow. God is patient. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God has been patient with you. We look at the world and we say to God, when are you going to wrap this thing up, right? When are you going to shut this thing down for good? When is Jesus going to come back so we don't have to put up with this anymore? See, in fact, I think God would respond, well, that's a good question because people have been asking that for thousands of years, actually. When are you going to come back, God? When are you going to make all things right? But here's what God's saying. But there's a long line of people that I want to love. There's a whole bunch of people that I want to save. There's people I want to forgive. If I had listened to people all the way, you know, I mean, I think what God would say to me is, well, there are people praying that, you know, like the year before I became a Christian. 
What if I had answered their prayers the year before you became a Christian? Would that have been a good thing? Uh, wouldn't you want me to be a little bit more patient than that? Right? Wait until you get saved. Aren't you glad that God waited until you got saved? I'm glad he waited till I got saved. But what about the people that God still wants to save? What about the people that God still wants to bring into his family? So what he says is, be patient. And while you're patient, tell people about me. And while you're being patient, show people my love. And live holy lives that reflect the love of God and the character of God to the world around you. Open up your fridge, right? And we talk about as a church, right? Reach out to your oikos. Here's what it comes down to. If you go back to the beginning of the Bible, you find the first two chapters are pretty cool. They're just full of perfection and they're full of joy. That's how the Bible starts. You'd hardly know it today, would you? But when the Bible starts, it's full of perfection and full of joy. And then chapter three is sin and then chapter four is death. And for thousands of years, God is being patient because there's a long line of people that he desires to reach out to and to save and to love. And then eventually we come to the last two chapters of the Bible, which reflect the beginning of the Bible, where there's a restoration of perfection and a restoration of joy. And that's heaven, right? Heaven is where there's no sin, no sickness, no death, no violence. What Habakkuk really wants is heaven. And it's what we yearn for. And see, the Bible says that God not only looked at our sick condition in this, this cesspool that we live in. Here's the amazing thing to me. And Christmas is coming up. You know, maybe you heard about that. And one of the things we celebrate at Christmas is that God didn't just look down on this mess that we created, but he entered into it. Jesus, the man, comes down and lives. And can you imagine like what it must have been like for him to walk on earth and go, you know, I didn't make it that way. <laughs> I didn't design it that way. When I, when I created that, it looked really good. What have you done to it, you know? I can just imagine him walking around all day long going, would you please clean up your room? Like it reminds me of like, for those of you who have teenagers, right? Like imagine you move into a new house and you paint a room for your teenager and you get that furniture and you know, you decorate it all up and then they move in and then you look in a few days later and they've just completely trashed the place. Now, some people, some parents have, this is their philosophy. Well, I'm going to make them keep their rooms clean. And some parents have the philosophy, well, you know, they're teenagers, all of them do what they want, but I'm closing the door, right? Because yeah, I don't, everyone doesn't have to see that. So we'll just close the door. But here's kind of what God does. He's like, well, my teenagers, they just completely trash the room, but I'm not closing the door. I'm actually going in the room. I'm going to sit down on the bed, you know, and kind of make a spot. And I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to hang out with them and I'm going to, I'm going to be with them. I'm going to live with them. I'm going to do life with them. So Jesus comes down and he lives in our room with us and he's tempted to sin in every way that we are and he never gives into the temptation. He's mocked, he's beaten, he's betrayed. He's condemned by a corrupt court. He's nailed to a cross, but we know it wasn't the nails that kept him there. What kept him there was his love for you and his love for me and his desire to reach us. In 2 Corinthians, it says, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to become sin for us. So then in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus took all the sin, all the sin that disgusted him, all the sin that, that broke his heart, all the sin that he resisted while he was on this earth. And so he spends his whole life resisting it and fighting it and pushing it back. And then he goes to the cross and he, he takes it all and he embraces it all. I can't even imagine what that must have been like for him to take that upon himself. And there he suffered and died and he paid 
for that sin. And he offers us his righteousness. See, that's the, that's the great news. It's the irony of the gospel. God sent his son Jesus because he loves us, because he cares for us, because he is so patient and so merciful that he wants us to know him and to be saved. But make no mistake. Scripture says we need to be those who confess. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we close this morning, my question for you is, what do you need to confess? What do you need to give up to God? What has the Spirit spoken to your heart this morning? Is there some part of your life in which, quite frankly, you're like, I'm a little bit like those of Judah. I've been living in this sinful pattern. I haven't really confessed it. I've been like, you know what? I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not like my neighbor. And I'm under the grace of God. And I think I'm going to be good, right? And God's patient. And What do you need to confess? What do you need to get clean?